but it gives you the sense of like, we're all dealing with a lot of stuff and people walk yeah. in, they didn't do their exercises two times a day for a couple of days. Like people have stuff going on. We have to have that understanding of people have full lives, right? Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joined the line later today by Dr. Mike K. Now, before we jump to this week's episode, I want to give you a little insight as to what is new in my neck of the woods. I feel like it's been a couple weeks here, a lot going on. Big thing being spring break of 21, which was much more exciting than spring break 20 and probably 19, because I don't think we've done anything for a couple years. This year, we decided to head down to beautiful Santa Rosa, Florida, which is just uh, one of those little beach towns in the panhandle. Met up with one of my good buddies from college and his family. So we had friends there. We had a beach and possibly even enjoyed a couple adult beverages <laughs> over my my vacation there. So it was really nice to just get away for a little while, decompress on the way down. Got got to stop in Huntsville, Alabama and hang out with my guy, Andy McCloy. Had a dinner with him and his beautiful young daughter. So just a really good just relaxing vacation all around. It was really nice to just get out for a little while. Uh, the only probably downside to it was it rained quite a bit on Friday. So, you know, we got packed up early. We knocked that piece out, got to take Kendall to the outlet mall. She is very much a shopper and not a shopper in the sense that she likes to buy a bunch of stuff, but she just enjoys looking and touching all of the things. So it was fun to just have a couple hours, just her and I together. So all in all, really great vacation. Uh, coming back <laughs> a little bit stressful. We decided we were going to beat the crowd and get out of there. We left at like 3.40 in the morning, which seemed really smart and was really smart, except for the fact that about 45 minutes in, we just had a torrential downpour hitting us. And we're in like backwoods, Florida, two lane highways, no lights, <laughs> um, all kinds of turns. So it was a little bit stressful, but just it felt good to get back, sleep in your own bed. We were back home by like 5.45 that night and uh, had all day Sunday to recoup and get ready for this week because, man, let me tell you, this week is a doozy. Starting to get some of my athletes back. I've got some new athletes coming in next week, so really excited to have the coaching crank back up a little bit. My kids are hitting the sports very hard. Kendall's obviously got her soccer. Cade's baseball starts this week. Kendall, it's just like once a week, but she's doing track team at her school. So I'm excited to have her try a new sport out and just see what it's like to get on a track and try and run really fast. I'm a little afraid she thinks it's just like social club and they're just going to hang out and talk the whole time. Uh, so I'll be interested to see how she feels coming home uh, after that first practice, but excited for them and all the stuff they've got going on. Working on a talk for the sleep and recovery summit. I'll make sure I drop a link into uh, the show notes if you're interested in that. My topic is going to revolve around how you plan recovery into your training. And we'll hit on a couple of different ways there. We're going to talk about why recovery in and of itself is important. Unaware of that, I'll try and give you some of the science behind that and how I think about it. We're going to talk about how you fit recovery into a training week and how you would program for a training week to better balance uh, the training and the recovery aspects. And then we're going to dive into like actual training modalities. Like what are you going to do if it's a recovery day or if you want to have more of a restorative day in the gym, 
what kind of training modalities you're going to use and why would you choose those modalities. So excited to bring that together. I got the outline sort of roughly in place yesterday. Um, start working on the PowerPoint as soon as I knock off here today. So excited to, to give that talk and hopefully that makes the trainers and coaches that tune into that, you know, a little bit smarter about how they write their training programs and how they plan recovery into their training weeks. And then last but definitely not least, my lovely wife celebrates a birthday this week. So excited for her. Got uh, a few surprises uh, that I have not told her about. She's in the other room, so I'm not going to speak loudly of them. Uh, maybe I'll give you a recap next week, but very excited for her. Always want to celebrate her because we would not be the family that we are today without all of the love and the joy that she brings to us. And she is truly the backbone of our family. So very excited to celebrate that with her. <laughs> I don't know how we're going to do it because when you look at our schedule this week, there's activities and events and stuff all week, but we will make sure we carve out some special time for our mom this week. So with that being said, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to jump into this awesome, awesome episode with Dr. Mike K. It seems like almost every day I talk to a young trainer or coach who was frustrated. Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in the industry. So if this sounds anything like you, I've got something that I know will help. My Complete Coach Certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you who are serious about the results they get and know that becoming a better coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification is gonna take the last 20 years of my life's work and put it all into one massive course. In it, you'll learn how to use the R7 system to create seamless, integrated, and efficient programs for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. How to create the culture, environment, and relationships with everyone you train so you can get the absolute best results. The exact progressions, regressions, and coaching cues I use in the gym, from squatting and deadlifting to pressing and pulling and everything in between. And last but not least, I've added an entire section on my assessment process and how to use that to write programs faster and more effectively than ever before. Of course, there's a ton more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the certification is all about. Now here's the thing, spots for the certification will open twice per year for a limited time only. If you're interested in learning more, my next certification will launch in March 2021, and if you join my free insiders list, you'll be able to save $200 when it opens. To get on the insiders list, just head over to completecoachcertification.com. Again, completecoachcertification.com, and then stay tuned for our launch emails coming very soon. Thanks so much for your support, and I hope you'll pick up a copy of the Complete Coach Certification when it launches. Trying to understand complex movement has always been a goal for Dr. Mike K. To accomplish this, Michael received his doctorate in physical therapy from Chapman University. After graduation, Michael has worked with pediatrics to high levels of sports performance. Michael also has experience working in a cash pay environment and has spent time developing performance models for a private equity company. Today, Michael works in Scottsdale, Arizona in his own company, K Performance Physio. He continues to work on implementing specific exercise and manual therapies to help alter complex dynamic movements. He also consults with many high-performance teams to get the best outcomes for their clientele. 
In this show, Mike and I talk about his core philosophy, the movement prerequisites you need to participate in rotational sports, why intent is so critical when training or writing a program, and why he views many tools as simply, quote, opening the windows of adaptation, unquote. This has some really fun back and forth here, and I think you're going to love it. But enough for me. Let's do this. Mike, man, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Super excited to have you on. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks for having me on. I've listened to your podcast for hours, so it's kind of cool awesome. to be here. Awesome. Talking to you. So yeah, so I'm out in Scottsdale, Arizona. I've been out here for a decent amount of maybe eight, eight nine years now. So okay. um, out in this warm weather here. But uh, <laughs> yes. not, to, not to rub that. Not to brag, yeah. It's like 32 <laughs> here today. Yeah, I think it's going to be 90 here today. Oh, uh, my so gosh. Complaining about it. But um, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I've got my small family of three and five-year-old, two little girls. So pretty busy. So And then I practice out in Scottsdale, Arizona. So I have my own little small cash pay practice where I train kind of just depending whatever the person needs and kind of build up my own little niche out here. So I love it, man. Me in a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. So talk to me, what led you to the world of physical preparation? What got you started in all this? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I hear all, everyone usually has some amazing story about like I was injured. I had this horrific accident <laughs> right. and this yeah. led me to like, you know, all this or, you know, and I, you know, I just kind of like thinking like, God, my story isn't that good. You know, but it's, <laughs> you, know you just kind of, your what is your good, what is your skill set? So I'm definitely more, like a pretty good observer. I mm-hmm. listen well. So, you know, those things tend to lead you well into certain areas. And I've yeah. always been physically active and played a ton of sports. So I just, you know, watching people move, observing, and then listening to people, you tend to already sit, you know, you kind of walk in the door and you're like, oh, I'm getting decent results just from listening to someone or just taking the time to watch someone move and not stare at my phone while they're doing their warm up. You're like, right. this person. So, I mean, I guess it's just a curious nature. Yeah. And just from, you know, always living in a sort of a warm, active client or weather, right, climate, yeah. uh, it just sort of just led me to kind of, you know, I was thinking, do I go PA school or do I go to PT school? I want to do some of that. And ended up just kind of falling into more of the PT school route. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. So yeah. talk to me about your career path, because a lot of young coaches listen to this show, young and old alike. But I love for young coaches to hear kind of the long and winding paths that some of us have been on because too often they just think, oh yeah, I like come out of school and boom, I get my dream job and then I live happily ever after. And, you know, a lot of times there's a lot of stops along the way. There's some hiccups along the way. So talk to me about that. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, because, you know, you think about, you know, like I was an English major, wanted to go to law school, you know, that type of stuff. Oh, wow. You go into school and they're like, what do you want to do? I was like, oh, I like to read, you know, know, (laughs) then just be an English major. Right. Right. That's kind of where I started off. And, you know, you get into it and you're like, oh, this isn't kind of necessarily what I wanted to do. And then I did some clerking stuff at a law firm. You're like, wow, I like to argue with people. This sucks. All you right. do is, you know, this, <laughs> it's not what it's all cracked up to be, right? It's like you're right. you know, sitting all day over long, pouring over these documents. So, you know, like, you know, you just kind of find your way. Like, so I ended up going to PT school, right? And the thing you get drilled over the head with at PT school is like, you're going to love your life. You're going to love it when you get out of PT school. Everything is going to be so easy and your work-life balance is going to be wonderful, all this sort of stuff. And I guess if you really, maybe it's my personality, but like when I was going through my internships and getting out of PT school, I was like, this isn't what I wanted. I don't necessarily hmm. like, you want a work-life balance, but I also want to work my ass off. I want to be respected and I want to be right. And then you get into your rotations and your internships and you're like, you're looking at some of these people here and you walk in your door and like, this is the guy who I'm going to have to you know work with for the next 12 weeks. And he's sort of checked out and he's, you know, does the same thing with every single person that walks in the door. And right. so it kind of disillusions you right away. Mm-hmm. So 
of to say like, wow, is this, did I choose the right thing? This is where I want to go. You know, so you just kind of find your path, right? It's like, what do you want to do? Where do you want to be? I kind of realized after, especially getting out of school and then getting into kind of your first couple of standard outpatient orthopedic practices, right? You'd interview a place and you're like, oh, this place seems really cool. And then they all say, we're different. We you know, have a patient first perspective. And then you walk in and the bonus structure is the same. If you see more people, you get paid more. Right. right? So it's right. like, I need to see four people an hour now instead of, you know, two people an hour. Right. right. So, it's, so how is that a patient perspective, right? A patient first perspective, it's obviously not right. Right. So, you know, as you kind of meander through, I was just this day and age, it's easy to reach out to people and ask them questions. And so I happened to get connected with a gym up here in North Scottsdale, a private gym and started just going there in the mornings. And, you know, I'd see a couple clients in the mornings and I'd go to my regular outpatient job all day. So I'd go train someone or treat someone at, you know, six, five thirty, six AM, right. Then yeah. go home and then, you know, start my day otherwise. But then that sort of turned into two people, turned into three people, turned into four people. Right. And then all of a sudden I was like, yeah, it's like, might as well, let's make this leap to this sort of cash pay training slash PT perspective in, right. in a private gym. And it was, you know, it's like, it's never a good time to make the leap, right? Yes, of course, I, absolutely. My wife is eight months pregnant with our first child, right? That's right. Yeah. A little like, bit stressful. Insurance-based job to go like, I'm going to go work 55 hours a week now and see nine to 10 people a day plus, you know, but that's, you know, it's what I did, right? It's right. Like, you know, so then, yeah, you just travel around. Like, so I worked through this place for about four or five years and kind of, you just sort of hit the wall. You kind of grow out of a place and a client I was working with is starting a private equity company and wanted to do like some sports performance stuff. So he's like, why don't you come over here and you can do research for me. You can still do some training and treating, but let's build something. So we built something and it spectacularly failed, right? It didn't work <laughs> out at all. Right? Yeah. I got fired, sent away. Uh, so, but it was sort of the, it was the best thing that could happen, right? Cause it's kind of pushed me in the position right now. Sometimes you need that push to kind of go, yeah. like, it's time for me to be a sole practitioner and be where I'm at. So it is a long and winding road. It's, I think the theme of it is, it's just trying to continue to get better, continue to reach out to people, be part of the community, kind of gets you where you're at, right? Yeah, I love it. I love it. So let's talk some shop, man, because I know you're doing some great things out there and Bill's always raving about all the cool stuff that you're working on. So for starters, let's talk really broad, really overarching. How would you describe your philosophy or your big rocks when it comes to therapy and training? Yeah. So I think, I think it's no secret that I'm very influenced by the principles Bill set out in his model. Like that's the nice thing I think about what you guys have done at IFAST and, and the way Bill set looks at the world is that, yes. you know, you can do it any way you want, but you have to have these sort of first principles in mind, right? It's looking at things aren't black and white. There's grayness, there's yes. gradients, right? And then just specifically the structure of the human body, getting out of a lever anatomy type of perspective of how we move, right? So you yep. think of things as like, a, you know, things are much more plastic and multiple and then you get into water and, you get, and then you get, yes. down, you get down the rabbit hole. But yes. eventually, right, you go dig deep and you're like, oh shit, oh, excuse me. No, you're <laughs> totally fine. You're not the first uh, person to cuss on this show, trust yeah. me. <laughs> I shouldn't cuss, I got a three and five. Um, <laughs> but you start getting so like in the weeds a little bit, then you pull back and you're like, oh, so this how this applies to like some conceptual stuff instead of being so deep into like, oh, this is how a sound wave works or this <laughs> is how, right? All right. But there are, you know, it changes your interventions and it changes like your outcomes and how you look at what's a good outcome. What do I need to go? Where do I need to go after? So big rocks. I mean, you're kind of just looking at a perspective of, you know, can this person expand? Can this person compress? And then contextually, what do they need to do in their specific sport or in life, right? The concept of expansion and contraction alone is worth the price of admission. When you start understanding yeah. that and applying it, it's like all these different ways 
that we tried to describe that when he described it in that sense, I'm like, holy crap, like that's exactly it. And like, when you look at it through that lens, it makes everything that you do so much easier. Yeah. And the cool thing, right, it should be the same across all disciplines of biology and nature, right? You see it everywhere, right? Right. You start to overlay it in kind of every way you see certain things and you watch a fish or you watch a bird, like you watch all these, you know, my little daughter, my daughter's learning about some music stuff and you're like, oh, this is the compression expansion of the note, right? Yeah. So it overlays on everything as it should, right? As it should, we're no different, right? It's still, we have to respect the laws of nature. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, I love it. Okay. So you train a lot of high-end rotational athletes. And I would love to hear how that philosophy or how those principles change or how you apply them when it comes to these types of athletes. Yeah. So first you're going to look at like the genetic structure, this makeup of this person, Yeah. Right? Like, you know, I'm five, nine, I'm never going to play in the NBA. As says, right? like, <laughs> right. yeah, I'm quick. I swing a golf club pretty hard. I can turn right. pretty well. Right. Right. But like, you know, you put me on a court with, you know, Russell Westbrook, I'm in trouble. Right. right. It's not, not my Mo- Most people are just for the record. <laughs> yeah, Most imagine, people yeah. are, are in yeah. trouble, but anyway, yeah, that's, it's not a one size fits all method, right? So how does this person, like, first off, why are they coming to me? You know, like, cause I get all sorts of people along the spectrum, broken, you know, need to making a comeback to like, I just need that little bit, right? Mm-hmm. So depending on where they're at, that's where you're going to need to go. So, I mean, it can be anywhere along that spectrum. That's like a, not the greatest answer, specific answer, but. No, no, but we can take that in different directions, right? So let's take the person that is maybe on the tail end, right? Or they've maybe had mm-hmm. some bad training. Talk to me about where you're going to start with that person, right? So, you know, typical pitcher, shoulder problems. Like, what are you looking at there to try and figure out, okay, what do I need to do? And then what's your thought process once you've assessed somebody as to kind of how you want to get them moving again? Like early on, you got to get buy-in. Yeah. Because typically when someone's seen me, they've seen a couple other people. They've typically failed in other areas or they're trying something. So you've got at least that on your side, but you need to show some buy-in right away. So I will look at dynamics. I think a lot of PTs are afraid or even like strength coaches, like they're afraid to look at the person in their sport. Yeah. So I have no fear of stepping on a swing coach's feet yeah. all the time. <laughs> it might irritate them, but it doesn't matter. Like your guy's hurt and he's here for a reason. Right. Right. So like if I can speak their language and say like, look at like, as you land here, look at your layback, right? Like look how far forward your chest, like you've given them all these sort of indicators and then you've experienced or practiced the sport enough that yep. you can give them like, you know how you feel this. And they go, I do feel that. How did you know that type of thing? Right. So that's like a great way to get inside their head and think of like, this is how I want you to think about and feel and approach this third stuff. So, you know, if someone comes in with a shoulder issue, we're looking at the whole body or like, I'm going to show them a picture of their static posture, yep. right? which static posture gets pooped on a lot, but it's because you just don't know what you're looking at, which right. sounds kind of snarky, but it's true. Right? Like, you know, if you're looking at it from a lever perspective, I dig it. I can see like, you're like, well, what does this person look like a second later? But if you're looking at it from like, these are viscoelastic structures that have memory and they've kind of been in this position for a while, right? like we need to change some of these things. Right. And then as you know, right, you can make some decent changes pretty quickly with people. Right. Yep. So like, if you get the right expansion, the right compression in certain areas that things will feel different. So like looking at a shoulder, you're going to look at everything, right? Like I'm in a a right-handed pitcher, like, you know, uh, one of the key giveaways right away, you're like, you look at a static posture, you're like, see that space underneath your left heel as you're standing here, you're doing a left calf raise, right? Like that's going to affect your shoulder, right? So this is what we need to do to get back into it. So 
again, you're looking at everything. Yeah. You got to look at everything in context. And is that foreign for people? Because, okay, here's one thing I try and be cognizant of. Like I'm at iFast and I hang out with Bill and we're like this little bubble, right? And granted, there's the internet. So the bubble's a little bit bigger now, but it's like sometimes you get stuck in this thought process and you think everybody thinks this way. So I'd love to hear like the athletes that you're working with, is this foreign to them, right? Like the guy that comes in with a shoulder issue, have people just been looking at his shoulder for six months? And are you the first guy to look at his body as a system and explain some of this stuff? Yeah. Or you get, you know, yes. And right. So you get typically just the very like myopic, like the regional, this is your problem. This is your shoulder right. approach. Strengthen that cuff. Get, get yeah, that cuff it, strong. Exactly. Right. Like we need to, like, yeah, that's your problem. Like, Scap strength. You're, you're, you throw 97, but your rotator cuff is weak, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> Which always makes you laugh. Yes. But people like, they'll look at the whole body, but how are they looking at it? Like it's, yeah, it's the that's way true. they're looking at it, right? So then it becomes the, I think the art becomes like the communication with the athlete, what they're, what you're trying to get them to feel. And I think the only way you get better at that is just experimenting on yourself. Okay. Right? Like, yeah. like, I think I've gotten pretty good in the last couple of years of just like feeling something in my body. I'm like, okay, this is, so if we're doing a split squat, like push your elbow a little forward. And then you're like, oh, the guy's like, oh, that feels different. I don't feel my backside hip anymore. Right. These little tiny tweaks. That's a good way to show them. Like, this is why we have to look at the entire picture, but it's like, as long story short, like you get like in being in Arizona, there's a decent amount of like bill people out here. Yes. Uh, yes. And I work with Connor Ryan out. We have a kind of share an office together. Oh, off and on, so. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so guy. It's like the perfect amount of chaos, right? Like, yes. You know, and I. But so like, yes, we get like, you know, can get very like jargony and talking to each other, but we know what we're talking about. So it becomes a challenge then to talk to the swing coach or talk to the physician about what we're seeing, what we're trying to get after. Yeah. And I think that's really important. Like you made a couple of good points. Number one, like trying this stuff out on yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and there's that element of understanding how it feels, because that's going to give you a better cue. It's going to give you a better understanding of why they may feel something right or wrong. So I think that's really important. And then just continuing to get reps, right? So there's like the sensation and all that, but like a split squat, how we thought of it, like in our model 20 years ago is totally different than how we think of a split squat now, right? So it's like continuing to accumulate reps as you enhance your knowledge so that mm -hmm. ultimately, oh, now a split squat isn't just a split squat like I used to do it. And for the record, I never did split squats. We just did lunges and generally it was just walking lunges. Back no, in the that's day, a lot, yeah. you that's know, that's it's like, like you back squat and you do walking lunges and, you know, some calf raises and it's a pretty good session, right? Yeah, you got to do. I mean, that's like I remember hip dominant, knee dominant. You got to yeah. check all the boxes, right? Yeah. You're a complete athlete, right? Yeah. yeah. But again, I think some of those things are helpful. At least you have uh -huh. a model. And I think that's where you start. But your model has to continue to evolve, right? Certainly. Yeah. Okay. Certainly. Yeah. Okay. So this part may be a little bit redundant, but I would love to hear you talk about just like the prerequisites to be a good rotational athlete. Okay. So, you know, you work with these high level pitchers, you work with high level golfers. I imagine you probably see some tennis cause you're in that warm weather climate and like people can be out all the time. What are some of the physicals tools you'd like them to have to not only be successful, but to stay healthy because golf, like, look, you can be, we got docs that are like 
mid-80s here that are still golfing like super regularly. So what tools do they need to be successful, not only early, but to stay healthy over the course of their lifetime? Yeah, I think it, a nice variety of activity, right? Because one of the problems around here, it's so nice. And then you've got your, I'm in North Scottsdale, so you got people who've retired at 45, 50 years old, and all they do is play golf, right? Yeah. You know, they're playing golf six days a week, seven days a week. And like, oh, why don't you mess in a day, of, like mix in a day of pickleball or something oh, else? Right, right. right. But from a health perspective, you want to see someone that can create the relative turns, the relative positioning. I know Bill talks about it all the time and it's, you wrap your head around it. It's, can you, I hate like the association is not the word. Can you separate certain things without everything going in sort of one piece, yes. right? Yes. And from just the simple table tests, which as you get better at them, as you see more and more of them, right? Your understanding of those change over time and giving an idea of where a person is in space. But, you know, like, Honestly, like if it's a lot of times it'll come down to like, again, your structure. So someone who's a narrow asymmetrical person is going to turn better than someone who's flat and wide. Right. But that doesn't mean you can't be a good rotational. There's plenty of people who make millions of dollars a year that are flat and wide rotational athletes, right? Right. It's just like, it's being able to work within your own idiosyncratic structure. So yep. like your swing, you know, like if you go see a swing coach and he wants to, you know, completely change the way you naturally move a little bit, like that's typically when you're going to have some pain, you're going to run into some problems, right? Right. And pain isn't growing. It's not like, oh, I need, just need to like shove my body into this position and I'll figure it out, right? Like that's, right. that's an indicator that like you're not swinging the way you should be swinging. You're not approaching this the way you should, should be approached. So not a specific answer for sure, but I think like the ability to create true turns yes. is underappreciated and something that I didn't even really grasp. And I still try and wrap my head around what a true turn is now, even you know, yes. with as much study and slow motion replay I've done recently. You know? Right. Well, I think that's a huge point because for so long we thought, hey, if they're turning, right, and we just looked at it as an orientation thing, we're like, oh, they're good. Not understanding that, oh, wow, they're using their entire pelvis. Their entire pelvis is facing to the left you know, versus getting those relative motions and those turns through the pelvis, through the sacrum to get the body where they want to go. So that point alone is huge. You know, and the other point that you make there that's really fantastic is that not everybody's going to turn the same way, right? Like when you got your long, tall, skinny person, and I'm just thinking golf, right? Like you got your long string bean, it just looks effortless when they turn versus, I don't know, a guy that's that's made some waves here recently is uh, DeChambeau. Is that how you pronounce mm -hmm. his last name? Dude, yeah. that guy is jacked out of his mind and he's just crushing the ball. Yeah. You know? So you always wonder, like, okay, like that dude's got to be compressed, you know, to some degree. So, like, okay, he's doing this. How long can he do it? Is like the next question you always think, right? Yeah. And you get like compression becomes a bad word, right? But it's right. not like you see these, not to get too technical, like these performance obliques for these right handed pitchers. Mm -hmm. I want you to be in an oblique angle, not right. too much. Right. But if we don't create that like differential gradient, then you don't get the vacuum to the left side that can clear yeah. out and just slam water across your body. You know, you get a right-handed pitcher with a little bit of right low shoulder, you know, you, you clean up some stuff, but I don't want to see him flat across. I don't want to see right. a flat angle, shoulder angle. Right. Like, you just took the guy was, you're going to screw with his spin rate. You're going to throw a velo, all these sort of things. Like, you know, general public walks in. Yeah. There's no reason for a guy who sits in front of a computer today to be buried over his falling over the, you know, his right leg. Yes. Yeah. Stand out. Yeah. Yeah. He's got his eye popping out of his head because he's so <laughs> compressed and torqued. Right. Like that's not good. Right. But like we have to pretend, and that's one thing, like, because stuff like like the Bryson, right? We have to pretend that we know where the line is. We have no idea where no. Like, the perfect the injury line is. But if we at least we're measuring stuff, right? Like we, but it, like performance isn't way above the line. Performance is like you know just above the line. Yes. Right? 
Yes. At that level, at least, right? Dude, this is such a great point and a great topic because this is something I feel like I talked about a while ago too when like instead of talking compression expansion, we were talking flexion extension, right? And like extension was the bad word, you know? Yeah. And like extension was vilified. It's like, whoa, but if you don't extend or compress mm. in this case, if you don't do that well, you don't run fast, you don't jump high, you're not an awesome athlete, you know? Dog is going crazy yeah. out there, but you know, like... We vilify these things versus understanding, okay, all of this are things that need to be managed appropriately, right? Mm -hmm. And how far do we want to push this slider scale? Like, that's how I think of it, right? Like, how far do we want to slide this, you know, before, okay, right on that edge. And again, like you said, we don't know what that edge is, but some people are willing to push that slider a lot further over than others. Yeah, right. You have to be like, depending on your interpretation, your model, right? You should be like measuring these things, right? Yes. If you're looking at great toe extension on the left side yeah. for someone who's got right shoulder pit. Right. But you've got a reasoning behind it. But then you should be looking at like performance indicators that the person cares about, right? It's yep. like, this guy was throwing 97. Now he's throwing 94. We have problems, right? Mm -hmm. And then we have to look at address of... The training influences, the shoe wear, the mound they're throwing off of, the surface they're playing on, right? Because that's the thing that, like, I think it's hard for people to wrap their heads around. Like, you know, the question you get all is, you know, something, for example, like, should I wear a barefoot shoe or should I be in, you know, this? Well, it depends, right? Like, right. like there's a hell of a good reason to put someone in a barefoot shoe for maybe a week or two and see if you get some KPI, some parameters to change. But then we take them back out, you know. There's so many things you can tweak with. Like, if you're a right-handed pitcher, you, I, probably your left shoe should be different than your right shoe. Yeah, you know, maybe like, you know, like, and then you look at all the guys around here in Arizona, there's so many baseball facilities and they all throw off these stupid rubber mounds. Yeah. There's a time and place for a rubber mound. You know, it's creates some yielding, but like, what about dirt and spikes? You know, especially if I need to change someone's propulsive phase, like, so there's so many tweaks you can make and we're not yeah. looking at the entire influences of that. These guys are training on and practicing on. So, and one final piece I want to kind of riff on here, because I know you're big on this too, is that the whole idea of KPIs, mm -hmm. and I know you're big on this, I know Bill is huge on this, but like, we're to a point now, and I say we, like I'm doing this, <laughs> he's the one that does most of the table tests, you know, but like clients that we share, like powerlifting clients, where like, he's basically got it down, like I need this woman to have about 55 degrees of hip ER, 20 degrees of hip IR, that allows her to hit the position she needs. That allows her to not break down. And then on my end, it's like, hey, okay, now can we push the envelope with her mains, give her enough stuff elsewhere in her program to kind of maintain those numbers, right? They're going to track up and down. And that's why you track those things. But how can we manage this so that we can continue to get her stronger without having her blow up in the process? You know? I love that. That's perfect. I mean, that's when you're looking at someone that wants to push the edge a little bit. You're going to look at ratios of ERs to IRs yeah. instead of just absolute numbers because people are going to have different idiosyncratic abilities. And then with your ability to look at a power lift and, or, you know, someone's doing a snatch or something like it's, you're looking for the dynamic tractors that you're looking for. Right. And yeah. so you, you put the whole piece and puzzle together, but I mean, I'm a huge fan of not having any, like, depending on the person, having a ratio of, of expansion compression that we want available for them. Yeah. And I think that's where we're getting with this, right? It's like mm -hmm. the better you can figure that out for each person. That's really exciting versus saying, oh, the model says we should have 60 degrees of ER and 40 degrees of IR for 100. Well, yeah, maybe for like the gen pop person that just wants to move around and feel good. But mm -hmm. again, performance athletes are a different beast altogether. Certainly. Yeah. I love yeah. it. Okay. 
So let's circle back here to our rotational sport athletes. And again, I know you see a bunch of these and and you're a trainer as well. So you've got that mind and that eye. What are some of the biggest mistakes you see either with them or as you alluded to with their coaches that you see when it comes to their programming? It's typically just an overall reliance on bilateral strength, bilateral motions, right? Yeah. I mean, it, and again, it's not bad depending on what I need to do, right? The other thing too is that that just reliance on like um this is my four week block of this that's mm, like yep. ridiculous like why are we like we can move past this now like if right. I get I get a skill set with some adaptation we want in a week and a half or something it's like, let's go let's move on right. to the next thing right. or if it's not adapting the way we want it let's tweak things so I guess it's just the underappreciation for what you do in the like gym and the effect it has on your overall movement specifically right it's just there's very little reasons for certain movements for like a bilateral back squat for a golfer like is there a reason right. sure I, I could find reasons to do it but maybe i'll program it for like two weeks and it's done with some sort of tempo or it's done with a band like yeah. trying to get some sort of specific adaptation i guess too it's an underappreciation for how specific you can get in an exercise when you look at this from like this fluid model specifically I love it. So it's funny. I kind of wrote down the word low force producers, right? So the way I think of it is you've got your people that if we're talking two massively opposite ends of the spectrum, you've got your people that don't turn at all, like your wide fire hydrants, and you got your people that turn way too much. And in like field court sports, those are the people that like go into a cut and never come out, right? But something that you didn't say, but you alluded to is this idea of intent, And so often we've just, you prescribe a back squat because it's an exercise and everybody needs to squat, right? Again, you check those boxes versus having a specific intent as to why you prescribe something. So it's not, oh yeah, we back squat because we back squat. It's no, I'm going to use a back squat because I've got this specific intent or I'm chasing the specific adaptation. And I think so many people could benefit from thinking of it in that terms versus just, oh yeah, we squat, we deadlift, we carry, we push, we pull whatever box we have to check that day. It's a different way to look at it. Yeah, I love that. I mean, like think of a little technical, right? But you think about like a narrow individual, right? And typically, right, we're supposed to go like supine, prone, quadruped, then half kneeling, right? But if I put like this, before you stand this person up, but if I put this narrow individual in a deep half kneeling position, I'm going to bury him. Can't go in that deep of water yet, right? Right. And he's never going to be a hinger. Like maybe his IR is a little above that. So like a deeper staggered stance position might be his, what, like his, his sweet spot. performance position, right? Yeah. So it's just having the ability, like, like I love watching my daughters grow up and watching them, you know, crawl and roll and all that sort of stuff. But we have to think past that a little bit because someone's specific structure, right? Like our, yes. your constraints have changed from when you were six months old, obviously, right? Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Okay. So one thing that I know you're big on is finding unique ways and and unique makes it sound like it's hokey pokey, but rather than just having somebody camp out and just breathe in a position, you're really good about finding ways to restore motion that are more dynamic. So could you give us some insight as to why you like that approach? Yeah. I mean, it's the carryover. It's like, it's what you care about, right? It's it's fun to do a magic trick on the table, right? But there's so many ways to get range of motion on the table. You can snap in someone's ear. You can just talk to them on their left side for a while. And then all of a sudden, like, well, look at your shape. They just melt. Yeah. Yeah. They're great. Right. So it's like, but that doesn't carry. Oh, you stand up and gravity and, you know, and all that sort of stuff. I mean, it's a window, right? And that's right. Like therapy, all these sort of things. They're just, they're windows. Right. But like, if you get someone active, especially if someone is not broken, right? Like we're in the gym, but we're going to go like, if depending on their structure, I'm going to choose a down punch for them in a different angle or, 
and then a like a suitcase carry for certain people and certain hands and you know the questions i get all the time like we run through a circuit you know take a picture of them check some stuff run through a circuit come back to the you know table measure some things take another picture and they're like and it's like this eye opening like wow i can actually feel better and look and like i can see that wrinkle on my right side is gone now yes. like what the hell happened there i was like <laughs> well it's just we can choose active exercises to get you moving and you don't have to do the basic preliminary stuff there are obviously times to do it right like yeah most people I'm, you're going to try to get them to do some rolling and you yep. know back these different rocks and roll like all the stuff that you've we all know about but you know, it's all with an intent. And the questions I get all the time is, oh, should I do this on my left side too? I'm like, no, just stick with your right side right now. Like, we'll just, yeah, we'll just do it this way for a little bit. And they're just like, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and that's, I love the before afters that you post. Like, it's so impressive. Like, I know, I forget, I think you had like a baseball guy one day. You had like the Achilles lady, like standing up and walking. Like, those are so impressive to show those changes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, you're trying to drive an outcome. I feel like there are people who do Instagram really well. You, you and Bill do Instagram really well. There's a handful of people, but for me, it's not a time for me to teach. It's just, this is what I'm working on. If you're interested, you know, call me, give me a call. Type right. Thing, right? But, <laughs> but I definitely respect, I just, you know, it's just certain people should be doing it and certain people shouldn't. There's too much noise. I would yes. say. Yes. Right? Yes. <laughs> no, that's very true. I was talking with Joel Jamison yesterday. I was on his podcast and he just made mention of the fact that like we are so saturated and the barrier to entry with regards to social media is so low. Like yeah. anybody can claim they're a fitness expert at this point, you know? Yeah. So I'm, I'm there with you, man. I get it. Well, there's like, geez, I just heard about this, reading about this the other day. Uh, oh, Sturgeon's, it's called Sturgeon's Law. They okay. basically, it's like that the 90% of everything is crap. And it was like, <laughs> they asked this guy, I think he's a writer, right? It was like, he's a science fiction writer. He was like, why is so much science fiction garbage? He's like, it's no different than any other industry. Right? Like, yeah. Most of what you see at most industries aren't like, it's not what you want. It's not high quality. There's flashy stuff, but you know, I think as Bill says, like, this is a young industry, but it's, you know, at least we're experimenting and trying things. You just have to have a discerning eye on what you, you know, what's appropriate and what might be useful. Yeah, no, that's huge. Okay. So (laughs) a lot of people are, you know, either sedentary and they get older and they want to be active. So they get into sports like golf, like pickleball, like tennis, or maybe they were athletes, got out of it, lost some physical fitness, and then they want to get back into it. So what advice would you give to a gin pop client or maybe a trainer that works with gin pop clients who want to be successful in rotary sports that maybe don't have the background for it? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's important to get a network or get hooked up with the sports specific coaches in a certain area. I think that's always helpful. And then at least like, then you can talk the language and you work around. You're like, all right, I, I like this guy. This guy's helpful. This gal's helpful. This is you know helpful for me to see all the, the appropriate, like fast track. Like this is how I can become okay at this sport yeah. and not hurt myself type of thing. Yep. As training wise, like, I mean, that's the question I get all the time. So I'll work with someone like a gen pop person. They come in and a couple of sessions, like, I feel really great. I'm going to go back to my trainer at whatever club. Right. Right. He's like, can you talk to my trainer? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I'd love to hear some of those conversations. Well, like I've, dude, I've screwed this up so many times because you start talking to them, like trying to find best ways to do it. But a lot of times it's like, just come in with them when a session, it's on me, just come watch us move, do some stuff and move around a little bit. This is how I might structure a session. Oh, I like that. Yeah. If the person doesn't, you know, they can't do it or whatever, it's, 
I kind of just like, you know, just have them do one thing at a time. I don't know. Like, right. it's like you know, punch with one arm and create an anchor on the other, you know, hold with one arm and like try to set up things at a steeper angle for this person. Yeah. You know? Right. Just simple stuff like this. That tends to actually get a lot of the pie. Right. Yeah. So you kind of alluded to like getting rid of some of the bilateral symmetrical, like that definitely helps, you know, in mm-hmm. some of Bill's basic rules of, okay, it's got to be alternating or split stance, you know, something offset or asymmetrical, like some of those rules work really well. But this is something I'm legitimately intrigued by now. Like, how do you have some of these conversations with somebody that has no clue what they're doing? Yeah, good question. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously out here, right? There's there's so many gyms and and, sure. Yeah, you get all sorts of the aesthetic training, bodybuilding stuff. And yeah, Actually, I recently had a couple of decent, have a couple of clients that were, you know, female like bodybuilder, like, and then sort of the, the aesthetic stuff, which is, yeah. you know, interesting, right? And and then like going through with them and saying like this is like trying to find a program that's not going to crush them, right? Then talking to their trainers who have become like, you know, you walk in and you're doing, you know, <laughs> bar goes on your back and then you're doing a, you know, a hip thrust, right? Like, yeah, it's just that. The communication is difficult. I don't know if there's a good answer. And I don't feel like I've done a great job communicating yeah. with people that aren't in my world. The best thing I've done is say, like, come in for a session or two. Yeah, I really like observe that. Observe what we're doing. And if they're curious, it becomes a good network, right? Anyways, yeah. they'll start, you know, and then they're like, then they ask questions and it changes a little bit, but it's time it's and effort. Honestly, I haven't done a good job doing it. Yeah. I mean, it, so the reason I ask is I don't know that I have either. And part of it is... I think part of it is always trying to humble yourself and remember where you started, right? Like you didn't have all the solutions when you were 23, 24 years old and rightfully so. So trying to humble yourself, but also doing your best to educate if they're willing and able and just being like, I don't know the best way to describe it. It's not extending an olive branch, but like, hey man, like if you want to learn more about this, how can I help you? Right. Or how can I turn you on to the right stuff? And not everybody's going to listen. I think that's the hard part for me. I've got so much conviction. I'm like, look, dude, I've seen people that should be broken that are back playing professional sports. And so I've got a lot of conviction, but not everybody cares. You know, not well, everybody cares as much as I do. You forget that, like, this is your life's work, right? Right. You forget right. some people, you know, like, even if they're a trainer, they're just, you know, they're like, when am I done for the day? Type right. Of thing. You're going to talk to them and they're going to think you're a Martian, right? It's like, what? Compression? What? what? Yeah. yeah. What are we talking about this, right? Yeah. So the gym that we're at, there's all sorts of trainers. It's a nice, it's a big open gym and it's a nice facility, right? But, you know, you invite them into the chaos of Connor's room and say, this is what yeah. we're working on. Try this. And yeah, see, yeah, but it's it just depends on the person. Yeah. I love it, man. All right. Big question time, boss. If you could alter the space-time continuum and give young Mike K one piece of advice, what would it be? Oh, geez. I probably wouldn't have listened anyways. Or I would have listened, <laughs> and then two days later, I would have forgot what you said. Um, one thing I wish I would have done in PT school, because I look at like Connor and Zach and some of my buddies that sort of, I think they took a stronger hold of like their PT internships and their early education stuff, Yeah. where I kind of was just like, oh, I'm getting sent to this place in uh, this clinic that's a sports clinic in Newport Beach, where I kind of went to PT school. Right. It should be awesome. You walk in there like, this place is not, this place is not right. awesome. There's, right. They're just in a good location. Right? right. So I think if I had like, that would be one piece of advice is like, just do your research and then drive more of your early education PT school or trainer wise. Right. Like, you know, like I'm sure you guys get people wanting to come in all the time and intern at IFAST or right. just fly on the wall. Right. Yeah. Um, 
it's such good advice. And it's something that, man, I think I talked about it a lot because I didn't do it when I was that age, you know? And again, yeah. I'm of a certain age now, but you know, I did my internship at Ball State because it was there and it was convenient and it worked out and it ended up being a great experience and I made some great connections. Mm -hmm. But yeah, when I look back and I think, man, the Connor Ryans of the world, the Eric Otters of the world, man, these guys, like they were crushing Con Ed when they were PT students. You know, they weren't just like checking the box of, oh, I'm going to PT school and I'm going to get. No, these guys were actively seeking out other Con Ed avenues while doing PT school. Like that's yeah. super impressive looking back, you know. Mm hmm. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it sets the tone, right, for it does. the way back and approach, right? I mean, that's like I was a little late to the game, but I think that's always – and it doesn't matter what career you're in. I'm sure you have right. business mental misses, any of that stuff. You can reach out to anyone now. Yeah. It's not like, you know, it's pretty easy. So Connectivity is not the issue anymore. No. That's for sure. That's yeah. for sure. All right, my guy. Last but not least, we got our lightning round. So four fairly short questions. Your answers can be as long or short as you like. All right. Number one, what's your career highlight so far as a clinician? You know, it's hard to tie down anyone, but like anytime I see a dynamic change, you've built a program for someone and you've worked on a couple of things for a couple of weeks and then client X sends you a, a video of them throwing and there's a huge change in their delivery. Or even like, you know, my lady with, I get these type of projects all the time, like the Achilles lady. Yeah. She sends me a video of her walking at the beach. Those are the things that you're like, oh, this is cool. Like, because the table in person stuff, I mean, if you listen to someone, they're going to feel better when they leave. Right. But then right. like, you know, you get a video from them a month later saying, hey, look at me doing this. That's always like, I would pick those any day of the week. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Okay, number two, I wanted to work this into the show, but I couldn't find a good spot for it. So I'm putting it in here. What does it mean to control your own vision? Yeah, so like, <laughs> that's a great question. It's your question, so it better be good. You told me kind of yeah, asked that. Yeah, something to ask here, right? I mean, I was like, this is uh, something I wanted to think about. But it's, I was doing before, we were trying to build this sort of medical, all-encompassing model, right? Yep. And the more people that you get involved with it, they have their perspective of how it should be. And then you involve different cultures and it can become spectacular. Or it can become a spectacular mess, right? Yes. And then you add in some of the constraints of COVID and everything else that was coming on at the same time. And it just didn't work. And it's my fault. It's everyone's fault, right? Like, so now that when I like stepping back from this, I remember actually having this conversation with Bill, which is kind of cool. We were talking about like what I was going to do next. And it was like, you need to be the director of it. You just, yes. you know, when you get to a certain amount of time and you've had a certain enough experience, you've paid your dues. You're not a year out of school, just guessing at stuff, right? Like I've, I've eaten crap a bunch of times. <laughs> right. So like you get an idea of like, this is where I should be. Like I want a warehouse sort of chaotic, sort of half grungy. I, I mean, this is kind of like, you know, for me, like polished and polo shirt and all tucked in and stuff. I'm not comfortable in that facility. Like right. I, oftentimes I'm treating people, I'm barefoot, right? But right. That's, you either get it or you don't. So right. that's my vision. I don't want to scale. I have no interest in scaling things, right? When you yeah. try to, and this is what I've learned, is like you try to scale things, it doesn't mean it can't be done well, but I don't think I can do it well. And knowing yeah. that's what you're at, right? Yes, I love that. I love that. Okay, number three, what's the strangest injury you've ever seen? <laughs> I mean, seen some bizarre stuff, but you know, mostly like, you know, so I did a couple week rotation, did some wound care. So you definitely see some yeah. like, you know, things sticking out of people and <sighs> like, some awful wounds, right? That's always fun. And it's usually the smell that's the worst. That's oh like, yeah. That'd be gross. You know, some like I had some, like I did a month at an internship in a inpatient psychiatric ward, which really? gives you a lot of empathy for the yeah. people and their families. So I don't know if it's strength. It's just unique. Nothing now. Like you see her, like, yeah, it's like an avulsion fracture. Like, yeah, the guy broke his humor, is throwing 
because look at him. He looks like a flattened. Yeah. You can see that happening. Like that's a non-contact injury waiting to happen. Right. Right. But like some of the unique stuff early on, like that, that psychiatric ward rotation was something I was dreading. I ended up liking it. It was unique and it just gave you a lot of empathy for the families and the people yeah. you're dealing with. Well, and I would assume, I could be wrong here, but like sometimes when you have those experiences that you know they're not forever, but mm-hmm. you know, like in the moment, like, hey, I'm going to put everything into this. Like you can take a lot away from stuff like that. You know, like you said, yeah. you took away a lot of empathy from that situation and it gives you a different perspective. Right. I think it makes you a more balanced individual and practitioner going forward. I did some pediatric stuff and you see some of these, you know, children, right, that are going to be dependent on their families for the rest of their lives. You look at the toll on the parents and what they're dealing with. So it just gives you a sense of like, thank God I have two healthy children, but it gives you the sense of like, we're all dealing with a lot of stuff and people walk yeah. in. They didn't do their exercises two times a day for a couple of days. Like people have stuff going on. We have to have that understanding of people have full lives, right? Yes, that's fantastic. All right. Last but not least, number four, what's next for Mike K? Gosh, I mean, I think I'm so happy where I am right now. I mean, I just have a nice spot where I've kind of building a clientele and working with all sorts of people from basketball, baseball to gen pop. So I just sort of love where I'm at right now. I think, I think it's just continuing to just refine the way I see the model and trying to get more specific, get better at programming. It's kind of one thing to I'll get people in that can only see me once, right? Just depending right. on. So you got to be sniperish. You got to go like, all right, here's the three exercises you're going to do for the next month. And then when you come back and see me, this is what you're going to do, right? Like instead of they're used to getting a, this huge, expansive program of all the stuff they're going to do, I'm like, this is the three exercises you're going to do. Yeah. Like, where's the rest of the program? I'm like, this is it. Try this. Get really good at this type of stuff. So. Right. I just want to get more and more specific and more and more sniperish. That would be my goal. I love it. I love it. I love it. All right, Mike, you've been awesome to talk to you today. So much fun. Where can my listeners find out more about you and all the great work you're doing? So I'm on Instagram. I've been very delinquent in getting any websites or, you know, been pretty bad at that type of stuff. So I'm on Instagram. So it's M underscore K-A-Y underscore D-P-T, which is a terrible Instagram name too. That's all right. We'll find it and we'll get, we'll get it in the show notes. Uh, But you can always DM me and then everyone has my cell phone number. So if you, you (laughs) I I will answer, but that's probably the best way to get a hold of me right now is Instagram because I've done a terrible job at trying to build up like (laughs) official website and you know all that other stuff so that's part of the grunge and that's i think that's the chaotic nature which is probably part of the allure right yeah it's like i don't know (laughs) it's your thing man well mike again dude this was so awesome man thank you so much for coming on the show thanks mike appreciate it buddy all right my friend that does it for this week's show with dr mike k really hope you enjoyed it I don't know if you could tell, but there were definitely times there where I went off the script to try and bring a little bit more out of uh, Dr. Mike's answers. And man, some really great stuff in there. I loved his thoughts on windows of adaptation, about training with intent. So I really hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, I got one small favor to ask. If you're not already subscribed to the show, please take two seconds out of your day and do that right now. Wherever you consume podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, Amazon, Wherever you consume your shows, go there right now, subscribe so that you get a notification each and every week when a new episode drops. So again, my friend, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back soon with our next episode. Take care.